Ecclesiastes 7, 7 through 14, but we're only, I'm only going to preach on verses 7 through 9, and the title of this sermon is called Uncommon Sense. Uh, these are actually proverbs throughout this chapter, and we looked at some of the ones last week uh, in the first six verses, but today beginning, uh, now I'll read verse uh, from verse 7 through 14, hear the Lord's word. Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Consider the work of God. For who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find nothing that will happen after him. This is the word of the living God. It is his inspired and holy word. Let us pray. Lord, would you give us an understanding of your word and help us to see how it applies, not just to the person next to us, but to ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I was talking with uh, an individual not long ago uh, about the political landscape in our country. And, uh, and before the conversation, I didn't really know what his uh, particular uh, political leanings were. Uh, I suspected he was conservative, but I didn't know. And he said, well, I'm, I'm of the common sense party. Uh, he says, we need more common sense in this nation. And I said, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, and it seems that today few people have what we uh, call common sense anymore. Uh, the definition of common sense is that common sense can be defined as sound and prudent judgment based on a simple perception of the situation or facts. Now, what Solomon gives us in, in all the Proverbs that he writes is common sense in a way, but it's, it's really more than that. It's uncommon sense. It's, it's inspired by God. And, and it often goes and cuts against uh, the common views that we hold. Uh, and, and, and so I would define uncommon sense in this way. It's sound and prudent judgment based on God's perspective of the situation. And so we need God's wisdom. And there's four points in this passage that I read, 7 to 14, uh, of uncommon wisdom. But we're only looking at one today, and that's in verses 7 through 9. And, that, and the main point here is that you and I need to learn patience and also to not let anger control us. To, to learn to be patient and not let anger uh, control us. Uh, verse 7, uh, as we begin, is a little difficult to understand. Uh, Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason, and a bribe debases the heart. 
the English Standard Version says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe uh, corrupts the heart. So the verse could be taken in one of two ways. This wise person is tempted to be driven uh, uh, a little mad, to have his reason uh, you know, kind of messed up. And either is that he is being oppressed or he is perhaps tempted uh, with power to oppress others. And uh, so it's possible it could be one or the other. And, uh, you know, you and I are, are we're tempted, I think, to, to lose heart when we see oppression or, or we're experiencing uh, oppression ourselves. Uh, but at the same time, if, if we happen to be in a position of power or authority, uh, even a parent could do this, we, we can be oppressive toward those uh, under us. We're tempted to abuse that power. And if we do that, uh, our reason will start to, to be messed up. But, but Bridges, Charles Bridges in his wonderful commentary on Ecclesiastes, he leans towards it, it's that the wise man here is, is the one being oppressed. He's, he's receiving the brunt of oppression. He speaks to those who are mistreated and who are beaten down by tyranny. We hear that word tyranny a lot today. Uh, but it was used uh, a long time ago. And uh, in such a case, Bridges says, more than once, uh, this oppression, this tyranny, has thrown the man of God off his sober balance and hurried him into a state nearly allied to madness. You ever lose your patience when you witness tyranny or experience the tyranny of people in power? Well, it's easy to do. And, and, uh, and I think we, it's funny, you know, on, on both sides of the political aisle, so to speak, uh, you know, when there are accusations of this, this person or this president is, is, is guilty of tyranny, or, or then on, on the other side, we'll hear the same thing. Uh, what, is, what is tyranny? But, uh, but I think tyranny happens. For example, in, in the last week or so, uh, I, I think of the, the six pro-life Christians who were charged with a civil rights conspiracy in, a couple of years ago in, in March of 2021. Uh, a number of uh, pro-life, six pro-life Christians, they participated in a peaceful protest at an abortion clinic. And, uh, and this was in March of 2021. They, and the protests included such things as prayers and singing of hymns and uh, of trying to, to persuade women going in not to kill uh, their unborn child. And, and, and this conspiracy charge, you know, it's, it's a serious thing. It, it can mean a prison sentence of up to 11 years, fines, of up to $350,000. And, and this is an outrageous uh, injustice. It's taking, taking uh, the federal government and, and, and using it to uh, give a, a very unjust uh, punishment. And it's really a, an oppressive sentence if it goes through. And it really makes my blood boil. It really gets me upset when I think of uh, these godly people who are trying to save human lives, and yet uh, the, the government that exists right now wants to punish them severely, while real criminals, such as the four uh, illegal uh, immigrants who uh, 
pummeled and beat up a New York City police officer, and they're arrested and released, no bail. Evidently, they fled to California, and they'll face no, uh, nothing for what they've done. Well, we, these are the kinds of things that can make you go mad, uh, can make you a little crazy sometimes because uh, we, we, we're upset. Uh, and, and at the end of verse 7, then Solomon throws out, and a bribe debases the heart, it corrupts the heart. Well, that's interesting. He attacks that onto this, this proverb. But in Deuteronomy 16, 19, we read, You shall not pervert judgment. Uh, you shall not respect persons, nor take a gift, nor take a bribe. Uh, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. So he's throwing that out there. What, you know, you have people in power and they are oppressive and they are, are exercising tyranny and so on. Well, uh, often politicians, uh, you know, whatever they are doing, uh, money is often behind it. Money corrupts. The bribe corrupts. And so you, you and I know, you know, there are, there are groups out there who are lobbying for their particular uh, uh, things that they want uh, in in our government and they have a lot of money some of them and and money uh, it can be used for good but it can be used uh, in a very bad way and uh, those who take money take bribes uh, for political votes and so on uh, that debases them and, and that, that's why sometimes we despise politicians because they become uh, so corrupt. And rare it is uh, to find a man or woman who will not sell their souls uh, for wealth in, in, our, in the halls of government. So we need to pray for our leaders. Uh, and we need to, of course, elect leaders who, who will resist those kinds of temptations. In verse 8, Solomon uh, goes on, he explains. He says, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Well, it's human nature for us to want what we want and to want it now. Where we've lived in, in an age of instant gratification, fast food, and fast everything else. And so patience has become a lost virtue. Uh, but what, what does Solomon mean when he says the end of a thing is better than its beginning? Well, first of all... It's not an absolute statement. Sometimes uh, the beginning of things is better than the end. Uh, let me give one example, and that would be someone who, who grows up in an affluent situation. They have money. They have a good life. But in the end, they die without Christ and go to hell for all eternity. Now, that's starting out good and ending badly. Uh, and, and so it's not an absolute statement. Uh, really, it only applies to believers in Jesus Christ, to those who know him personally and savingly. And so for us, uh, the application for us is to think about it this way. We're all born sinners. We're born under the wrath of God. We're born with a wicked heart that left to itself would only choose evil. And by nature, we're slaves to sin and we can't free ourselves from that bondage. But when the Lord opens our hearts and, and, and changes those hearts, he en enables us to trust in him as Savior and Lord. The end, therefore, will be much better than the beginning. And we know that the end will be better 
than the beginning because it was so for our Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it? Uh, he came into this world and he was rejected and despised by men. Herod sought to kill him when he was only a, a child. And <clears throat> uh, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was crucified. Uh, he was uh, uh, had abuse hurled at him and uh, and he endured the physical agony of the cross, but also the suffering of the wrath of God, the punishment of God that was due to us for our sins. Uh, but the end uh, was far better uh, for the Lord than the beginning, because on the third day he rose again from the dead. And he's now seated at the right hand of God in heaven, and all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And if you're in Christ, you see, uh, his, uh, all that he has gone through, we too uh, have gone through uh, because of our union with him by faith. And so uh, it, the Bible can say to us, we have been crucified with Christ, but we've also been raised with him and seated in heavenly places. And of course, that's uh, our spiritual position now. But one day we'll be with him in heavenly places. So for Christians, the, our beginning may be hard. And it is hard because we're, we're sinful. And uh, we come to this world lost in sin, dead in sin. It doesn't, doesn't, it's not very uh, uh, you know, hopeful there at the beginning. Uh, but when God saves us and he calls us, then, then it, it, it's only going to get better. And of course, the beginning may be hard, but heaven is at the end of the road for us. So we need to wait patiently, therefore, uh, through trials, through sufferings, through difficulties. We fight the good fight of faith. And while we're in this, in this world, uh, as Christians, uh, we, we are at war. We have to remember that. We are at war with the world, the flesh, the devil, uh, an evil world system, uh, uh, you know, uh, sinful tendencies that we all have. And yet one day when Christ returns, all the enemies of God will be crushed. Satan's head will be crushed. Uh, your sin will be uh, eradicated. And this perfect uh, eternal state will be ushered in uh, one day. In James chapter 5, uh, James begins that section by rebuking the wealthy rich who have exploited the people who worked for them. They, they, they've been the oppressors. They've, they have not uh, paid their workers. And uh, he says to the rich who are like that, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. So they started out well. They had a good beginning. But he says, your ending is not going to be good. And so those who are rich, those who and have been oppressive uh, of the poor and others while living in their luxury, and they have no regard for God, no regard for others, only for themselves, they will receive severe justice when Jesus comes back. And James says to believers, uh, he said, when you see that, he says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, so we have to remember that uh, that everything as it is now is not how it's going to be. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to judge those uh, who thought that they 
ruled the world. They will dis soon discover that Jesus rules the world. And um, God will, in the end, bring justice and, and, and will deliver us all uh, from all evil. Uh, the evil in, in our own hearts and the evil that's in the world. Now, of course, that's not to say that Christians shouldn't do their best to work for a, a just uh, society where evil is punished and, and, and good is rewarded. And we certainly need to pray for our leaders and, and elect as the best leaders that we can uh, to make sure that, that we do what's right and do what's best for our nation and our uh, local government. But until the Lord comes back, we're going to have to deal with oppression, with tyranny, and other things from time to time. And you know, what do we do when we see the wicked prosper and carry out their evil deeds? You know, what, what do we do when we see tyranny and we see unjust sentences handed out and so on? Well, Psalm 27 verse 14 says this, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so we need to pray, we need to work, but ultimately we have to wait on the Lord's intervention. Uh, and, and wait expectantly. Uh, God can intervene in our nation. He can change lives. He can bring revival. He can bring an awakening. And uh, ultimately we have to wait patiently until the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. He's going to set everything right. He will punish the wicked. They will not get away with their evil deeds. And of course, in Solomon's words in verse 8, apply to our everyday lives, to our circumstances, and to our interactions with others. So here's where it gets personal. How do you respond when things don't go your way? Do I have to do this today? Do I have to go through this? Uh, do you complain about these things? Do you get upset? What do you do when someone crosses you, goes against what you want? Um, are you calm and patient when people are upset with you? Well, Solomon said the patient, the person who is patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And so that implies that, that, that impatience comes from pride. And pride is a sin. It's a great sin. Uh, and so if we want to learn patience, do you want to learn patience? <laughs> uh, you have to first learn humility. Do you want to learn humility? Uh, it's vital. Uh, and, and so we, we, we have to put on humility. And we do that by submitting to the will of God. Uh, Thy will be done. Submitting to the will of God, especially in affliction, especially in conflict, with others. And we need to, to, to wait patiently on the Lord to bring us through our trials. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No uh, temptation or trial, it can be translated, has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow that trial uh, uh, to, to defeat you, but he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it, that you can stand up under it. So <clears throat> wait patiently on the Lord to bring you through uh, the trial that you're going through. And that's humility. It, it's patience. Matthew Henry said, where there's humility, there will be patience. Uh, and, and so, how do you get humility? You know, are you a humble person? 
Uh, well, it comes easily to those who realize that they deserve nothing whatsoever from God's hand. Uh, it comes easily to those who understand they deserve nothing from God. God doesn't owe you anything, uh, and he could have not given you anything but judgment. The fact that he's given you anything at all is an amazing act of God's grace. So instead of grumbling and complaining, the godly person realizes everything I have is a gift from God, and I didn't deserve it. Uh, This is is a wonderful thing, and, and so... Instead of complaining, I'm going to be thankful for everything I have. I'm going to be thankful uh, for my family. I'm going to be thankful for my church. I'm going to be thankful for, for my job or, or thankful when I don't have a job. I'm going to be thankful <clears throat> for his providence in my life and dealing with me in the current moment. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The humble person gives thanks. The proud person complains. The proud person uh, thinks that he deserves something uh, from God, but that's not the case. And then closely related to impatience is sinful anger. Uh, impatience, uh, uh, anger is, is impatience taken to uh, another level. Uh, and verse 9, Solomon says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Another translation says, don't be quick-tempered. Uh, you know, some people have a quick temper. Is that you? Is that me? Um, and I think at times, you know, there are times when when we when we are quick-tempered, and, and that's not a good thing. Uh, you know, uh, he says anger rests in the bosom of fools. If you're quick-tempered, not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. And and, and so. We're tempted at any moment to give in to sinful anger. And the Bible does make a a distinction between sinful anger and anger that is not sinful. Uh, And so Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The Phillips translation uh, puts it this way. If you're angry, be sure that it's not sinful anger. Uh, I think that's a good way of putting it. And, and so if you're angry, ask yourself, why? What am I angry about? Why am I angry? Is it sinful anger or is it possibly righteous anger? Because there is such a thing. Uh, anger actually is a God-given emotion. Uh, anger rises up because something's wrong. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, anger actually helps us overcome apathy. If you never got upset about anything, that means you wouldn't care about anything. So anger rises up and it's actually uh, something that, if channeled rightly, uh, it can be used to resolve a problem or a difficulty. Uh, the reason you got upset is that something is wrong and something needs, needs to be dealt with. And so uh, I've heard it put this way, when you're angry, don't attack the person but attack the problem uh, that presents itself. Use that that anger, that that emotion, uh, to work to to solve a problem, uh, and and so on. So, but Jesus exercised righteous anger, didn't he? Uh, when he drove the money changers out of the temple, he turned overturned their tables, and he used a, a, a little whip, uh, not not to really beat them with, but to just drive them out. 
because they were, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were doing things in the temple they shouldn't do. They were debasing the sanctity of the temple. And so uh, he was angry, Jesus was, but did not sin. Uh, he, he did what was right. He used his anger to, to do something uh, that uh, needed to be done. And uh, uh, recently, uh, Navy veteran uh, named Michael Cassidy uh, was in the Iowa State Capitol building. He saw a statue of Satan in there, of all things. He saw this statue of Satan. And, and so in righteous indignation, he beheads this satanic idol. And he said at the time, he said, I destroyed the statue to awaken Christians to the anti-Christian acts promoted by our government. And he said later, he says, the world may tell Christians to submissively accept the legitimization of Satan, but none of the founders would have considered government sanction of satanic altars inside Capitol buildings as protected by the First Amendment. Uh, and not only are there satanic uh, statues and displays on government property and government buildings, there are satanic clubs for kids now uh, in, in public schools. Now, if that, that doesn't make you angry, um, then I, I don't know. What, there, there might be something wrong with you. Uh, on the other hand, of course, uh, there is such a thing as unrighteous anger. Again, be angry, but make sure it's not sinful anger. Okay, and and uh, what what's the difference? Uh, how how do we know the difference? Um, righteous anger is is a legitimate expression of God's own hatred for evil. It's not a personal matter. It's a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of God's own hatred of evil. But but sinful anger is condemned throughout Scripture. James one twenty says, "For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God." The anger of man. Um, it it's, comes from ourselves. It's a self-interest, not a kingdom interest. And that, that's one distinction. But John Calvin listed three ways that anger can be expressed sinfully. And he said, first of all, anger is sinful when it arises from slight causes or no cause at all. Uh, Jesus said, I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Um, he said, secondly, anger can be sinful when we go beyond the proper bounds and, we're, and we go off into excess, that, that we just blow up. And we, uh, we, it's, in other words, it's sinful, anger is sinful uh, when instead of you controlling the anger, the anger controls you. It's out of control. When you get out of control, it's clearly sinful anger. And third, anger is sinful uh, Calvin said, when it ought to have been directed against ourselves or against sins, but is turned against our brethren. Isn't that interesting? Uh, he says, sometimes we get angry with other people. We want to blame others, don't we, for every problem we have. And we get angry at other people when we really should be angry at ourselves and our sins. So I, I, I want to say this. You need to get, and I need to get, angry with my sins, with our sins. Get angry enough at sin to put it to death, to kill it. And, and, and you know, we are often angry or upset after we've committed a sin. We're like, oh man, 
why did I do that? Why did I do that again? And uh, we, we beat ourselves up. We're, we're upset. And that's, that's right, that we should be upset when we sin. But we need to be angry about sin before we commit it. If we would get angry about sin, uh, if we were angry enough at sin, if it bothered us enough, we wouldn't do it. So, so get, be angry at sin. Don't be angry and sin, but be angry at sin. Remember, too, that God himself is angry. He's angry with the wicked every day, it says. He's angry with their sins. And God's anger against sin will lead him to punish people in eternal hell. Uh, his anger is real, and it's always in control. Uh, it, it is just anger. It is righteous anger. And God was angry against us and our sin as well. The good news is that his anger was turned aside for us by the propitiatory sacrifice, propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans 3 says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. In John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So uh, let's see, who can I call on to give me a definition of propitiation this morning? Well, uh, you see, it was by the cross that, uh, that he propitiated uh, God's wrath. That means it, propitiation means to turn away the wrath of a person by an offering. Uh, you know, if someone's angry with, me, with you and you say, I don't know what to do to, to you know, to assuage their anger, uh, bring a gift to them. You know, Jacob meets Esau and he thinks Esau's going to kill him. And he brings him all these gifts, all these gifts, you know, before he even sees him, trying to make sure, you know, he calms down and, and doesn't kill him. But what does God do? He sends his only son into the world. And, and, and God's anger, and this is a willing thing that the son willingly took our sins and God's wrath upon himself on the cross and God willingly sent his son and had him be a sacrifice for us and so God's anger fell on Christ as he was crucified instead of us and since his anger was removed from us by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and all our sins have been forgiven should we continue to be quick-tempered and to be full of anger at others? No, we should not. Since Christ has forgiven us such a great debt, and David Galletta preached about this parable, you know, of the person who was forgiven this huge sum, but then other people who owed him money who wouldn't forgive their debts. You see, we shouldn't be like that. Uh, shouldn't we be patient with others, seeing how patient God has been and continues to be with us? In Ephesians, Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And in that same chapter, chapter four, he says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. So that our default setting ought to be to bear with one another, to be patient with one another, because God has been so patient with us. There is a time and a place for anger, and it's probably a lot less than we think. Uh, and, and, and there is a great time and place for lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. As we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded, again, of God's anger being turned away. 
by the body and blood of Christ. We're reminded of, of His great patience with us as sinners. And, and so the Lord's Supper is a time of reflection on these things. Uh, it should cause us to reflect upon our lives, to renew our commitment uh, to God first, to the Lord, and then to one another uh, so that we forgive each other. We, we lay aside our sinful anger and uh, our impatience. So it's a time to set aside grudges and bitterness. Are you, do you have bitterness in your heart? Uh, do you hold a grudge against someone? Lay that aside. Ask God to take away that bitterness. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a time certainly to feed on Christ by faith and to seek His grace uh, that we might learn to practice self-control and, and have patience and, and, and to overcome our anger. It is a time to enjoy and experience His love for us, His love for you, and, and, and to be enabled, because we are partaking of this as a body, to, to have love for one another, especially as Christians, but also to love our neighbors as ourselves, to, to reflect on these things, to humble ourselves before the Lord in this meal, that He might lift us up. And I would ask the elders if they would please come forward for the administration of the elements of the supper.